right. Welcome in and welcome back to the Running Hoops podcast, brought to you by Super Chicks, the home of the last true chicken sandwich. If you need a place to drown your sorrows in food after a loss, Super Chicks is a good option. Check out their menu and locations on their website at superchicks.com. And remember, it's chicks with an X.com. On this episode, the Running Utes suffer their worst loss of the season, which could ultimately mean a trip to Logan in the postseason. To make matters worse, Gabe Madsen is now sidelined for a while. We'll take a quick spin around the Pac-12, and I'll even get you ready for Sunday's matchup with the Cal Bears. But first, I wanted to remind you that you can follow the podcast on Twitter, at Running Hoops. We're here for you, win or lose. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can support the show on Venmo, at Running Hoops. Plus, you can read my game previews over on UteZone.com. Apparently, you'll want to take my game predictions with a grain of salt. Maybe not take them to the betting window. Nevertheless, UteZone is still a great place to talk about all things Utah sports and emote when the Utes fall short, as they did this evening. But before we get to that, about a half hour, maybe an hour before tip, Utah announced through its website that Gabe Madsen will miss four to six weeks with a lower leg injury. Obviously, that news put a downer on the night before the game even tipped. And then Josh Newman tweeted out that Boston Holt was out as well. He was in his street clothes. So the running Utes were down to 10 available scholarship players before the game even started. And what a rough game it was. Both teams struggled in this one out of the gate, with Stanford leading 2-0 for the first two and a half minutes of the game. Didn't get much better from there for Utah. The Cardinal led for the bulk of the first half, with Utah taking a two-point lead at 19-17 and led for all of 20 seconds in this game. Stanford took advantage of a couple of scoreless streaks by the running Utes, and a boneheaded foul by Luka Tarlak with no time left in the first half on a three-pointer to take a 46-31 to lead at the half. Now, I actually have some audio here of Craig Smith's halftime speech to try to motivate the boys. Let's see what he said. This is unbelievable. You guys are playing like this is some throwaway game up in Rochester. Who are we playing, Rammer? Sweden. Yeah, you're damn right, Sweden! In the Olympics! What the hell's wrong with you? Put your gear on. I said put your gear on. The doc told me I can't play. Yeah, I know. You got a bad bruise. You know what? Put your street clothes on, because I got no time for quitters. Come on, Herb. Nobody's quitting here. You worry about your own game. Only there to keep you busy. Bruise on the leg is a hell of a long way from the heart, you can't. What'd you call me? You heard me. You want me to play, huh? Is that what you want? I want you to be a hockey player! You want me to play on one leg? Huh? I'll play on one leg! That'll get him going. My apologies for the gratuitous miracle references on this podcast but when your head basketball coach does it it just feels right to do it as well look whatever Craig said at halftime it worked Stanford came out and pushed the lead out to 17 which would be their largest lead of the game but the Utes fought back hitting four threes to cut the lead down to six they got it to three once or twice 
but it just wasn't enough. But you credit them for fighting back as hard as they did in this game. Stanford always seemed to have an answer, and Utah missed a ton of shots and had a lot of one-and-done possessions at times when they could have trimmed the lead down to one or two or to even take the lead if they had been able to string together more solid possessions. But they just couldn't do it, and Stanford got the win 78-70. Stanford dictated everything in this game from wire to wire. If they wanted to play fast, Utah played fast. If they wanted to slow it down, Utah slowed it down. They packed it in on Brandon Carlson. They dared Utah to shoot. And look, Utah made some, but they missed a lot. The Cardinal were led by Spencer Jones, the guy right at the top of the scouting report, who had 22 points and five rebounds. Michael Jones added 15 points off the bench, including that foul that he drew on Luka Tarlac right before halftime on a three. So that was really fun. Michael O'Connell and Brandon Angel both had 11, which is well above their season averages. And a confident Maxine Reynaud chipped in eight points and eight boards, including a critical three down the stretch, which we will get to as well. Utah was led by Lazar Stefanovic, who was starting in place of the injured Gabe Madsen. He ended up with 26 points, but it was on 10 of 22 shooting, 6 of 14 from beyond the arc. Brandon Carlson added 17 points and 7 boards. Stanford really made it difficult for him tonight, doubling him every time he got the ball. But unlike the game at Stanford when they doubled him and he was able to split the defense, split the double team, he was a long ways from the basket. So they really forced him to be a lot farther away from the basket, which allowed them to double team him and made him not able to just get it at the rim. Raleigh Wooster had 10 points, 10 assists, and 7 boards, and Marco Anthony added 6 points and 5 boards, and true to his word on this here podcast, he took more threes, going 1 for 4 on the night. Kabakata played 5 minutes, Luka Tarlac played 4, and Will Exact played 13, but didn't score, going 0 for 6 and getting 2 points at the free throw line. Eli Ballstat played 15 minutes, full stop. Let's see how they did against my keys to the game. Well, first and foremost, cool them off. In what was one of the worst defensive efforts of the season, Utah allowed Stanford to shoot 53% from the field and 55% from the three. Spencer Jones may have not shot a contested three all night. Number two was make shots. Now, they shot 39% from the field and 35% from the three, which on the surface aren't terrible numbers. But they had 64 shots in this game to Stanford's 49, and they shot 34 threes, making just 12 of them. Stanford took them out of rhythm, took them out of their formula, and they settled for a lot of bad looks. Number three, went on the boards. Nope, Stanford won that battle 36-33. BC all day. Brandon Carlson had just two made baskets in the first half and two free throws for six points, They did a better job of getting him the ball in the second half, but Stanford was just really focused on shutting him down. And as I mentioned, they kept him away from the basket and just made things difficult on him. And then value the basketball. Well, they only had eight turnovers in this game, but they led to 10 Stanford points. So four of those turnovers were in the first five minutes. So they definitely cleaned things up, but Stanford got a couple of threes off of those turnovers, which helped them build their big lead. So, you know, again, the number is good, 
but the results were, you know, mixed, I guess you could say, like, politely. Some other observations in no particular order. You know, the officiating was questionable in this game. It wasn't the reason they lost, but it was bad. There was a sequence in the first half where BC gets a foul called on him, and then Stanford gives it to Raynau, who immediately and very clearly hooks Brandon with his elbow on the post move and scores. No call there. With the understanding that Stanford is technically the biggest team in the league, nobody on this squad seems to be able to make an entry pass over the top. This is a multi-year problem at Utah that neither Larry or Craig had, has yet to figure out. Stanford was the more physical, more aggressive team throughout the game, and they were rewarded. They got seven more trips to the free throw line on 18 Utah fouls to their 13. And like I said, some of those were questionable calls, and there were a lot of no calls that were also, I thought, questionable. Again, not the reason they lost the game, but, you know, I think it's tough when, you know, you can't rely on the officials to do the right thing in a moment where you would expect a foul to be called normally. I think Lazer in rhythm, shooting a three, is the best version of Lazer that Utah has, followed by Lazer to the hoop. All other Lazers should take a back seat to those two Lazers, especially step-back fadeaway Lazer. I also think that Marco Anthony needs to be more aggressive. I honestly don't hate him taking those threes, but he is money from the elbow, and when the team gets down, I think he takes he needs to take a more active role on offense. Two really bad things in this game, both of them having to do with Michael O'Connell for Stanford. First, he should never out-rebound you, ever. That's embarrassing. He got a rebound over one of our guards. That just shouldn't happen. Second, there was a critical sequence toward the end of the game where he got the ball in the backcourt, like the opposite free throw line, with seven seconds to go on the shot clock. And he was allowed, with very little resistance, to essentially, in that time, take it coast to coast and kick it out to Raynaud for a corner three as the shot expired. That basket pushed it out to 10 for Stanford with just a few minutes to go, and that was really all she wrote. Eli Ballstat getting 15 minutes to me is a head-scratcher. He was in the game before Luca. he was in the game before Mike Saunders, and he played more minutes than Will Exact. Now, look, this isn't a knock on Eli at all. He's a try-hard. He's, I'm sure, a great teammate. But how is he getting time over scholarship players, especially that much time? And again, it's not a knock on him. What it is is a knock on the rotation and what they're doing with it, Right? Speaking of, we continue to not see Kaba and BC playing together, which I don't fully understand, especially when you're playing a team like Stanford, who's got some size, and they're double-teaming Brandon Carlson and causing him some problems. I just, I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The foul drill at the end, that wasn't great. You know, they let seconds run off the clock before they were able to foul you know, and those are situations that are funny because you know the team's trying to foul and that's when the refs decide to swallow their whistles, which is, again, bothersome, I guess. Now, let me give this team a lot of credit, right? They did not quit, you know, and some people don't think that's important. Some people think that there's no discernible difference between Craig and Larry 
right at this juncture in Utah basketball history. And I don't know, I just couldn't disagree more with that. You know, Larry's teams would have turned that 15-point halftime deficit into a 30-plus point victory for Stanford. Now, I know what you'll tell me, right? Hang a banner. And that's fine. But to think that Utah isn't better off with Craig, I'm just not willing to make that leap yet. And I'm not really even all that close. So let's bottom line this loss. It was the worst loss of the season. And there's no debate. Stanford was a non-negotiable if they wanted to make the NCAA tournament, and they lost. And not only did they lose, they were controlled. They were controlled the whole game by a team whose coach is not good and is on one of the hottest seats in all of college basketball. This is their first quad three, quad four loss of the season, and it's one that you'll be able to point to if they don't make the tournament and say, yep, that loss was one of the things that did it. And I don't think it's an overreaction to say that their tournament chances took a big hit tonight. I also think that they can probably kiss a first-round bye in the Pac-12 tournament goodbye after this loss unless they pick up a road win at one of the Arizona schools. I still think they finish top six, but I think that four spot is going to be tougher and tougher for them to hang on to, especially with USC and Arizona State playing much better and UCLA and Arizona virtual locks at this point. I also want to say this, and this is going to sound a little bit funny, but I'm going to say it anyway, and some of it's going to be old hat. But this is a game that was kind of lost this past offseason. So what do I mean by that? Well, they went into the game with 10 scholarship guys. Gabe Madsen out, Boston hold out, and an empty 13 scholarship. As a Power 5 team, you should be able to withstand an injury to your second leading scorer and beat a team that you are markedly better than. But they didn't fill that 13th scholarship. And they put at least some of their eggs in the Gavin Baxter basket, more than I think anyone let on, which that didn't work out either. And based on playing time alone, they whiffed on the Mike Saunders evaluation since he can't get on the court. And oh, by the way, I think his speed and his passing would have helped them tonight stem the tide a little bit against Stanford, but he only got one minute at the end of the first half. He got caught up with Marco when one of the guys fell down and Spencer Jones got a wide open three, so I'm sure that was all his fault, but I digress. The bottom line here, which I know I've said three or four times now the bottom line, but you've got to be able to have the depth to withstand Gabe Madsen getting injured or you know, even BC getting injured, although I think that one would be a lot harder with only one true front court player. But still, you, you've got to have the the depth to withstand this. And this was something that could have been addressed in the offseason, and it wasn't. Period. So now we drift over to the big picture. Utah is 15 and 9. They're 8 and 5 in Pac-12 play. They've got seven games in league play to go. Four at home, three on the road. They've dropped a 55 in Ken Palm, and they'll probably have a similar 9-10 to 10 spot drop in the net. They've lost back-to-back games for the third time this season. Fourth, if you count their three-game losing skid a few weeks ago where they went back-to-back-to-back. And now they've got to regroup for Cal on Sunday. Here's an analogy some of you may agree with or disagree with, but this season is starting to feel a little bit like the 5-7 and seven season that Utah football had when they were first in the Pac-12, not their first season, but one of their subsequent seasons, where, ironically enough, they beat number 5 Stanford, 
but they couldn't get to six wins to get to a bowl game. It's feeling more and more like that home win against Arizona, which is a rarity for Utah hoops, might be wasted. And again, when when you step back and you understand that progress is being made and that at the beginning of the season, a lot of people said that the, the NIT would signify that progress, right? But because of that win, it's just missed opportunity after missed opportunity for this Utah team, going all the way back to Sam Houston, I think. So speaking of the NIT, John Templin, who you can find at NY Buckets on Twitter, is kind of the NIT guru out there. And he releases his NIT thoughts and bracket every few weeks over at nitbracketology.blogspot.com. And he put one out this past Wednesday where he's got Utah projected as a three seed that's in a bracket with Nevada as the one seed and Oregon as the four seed and drum roll Utah state as the two seed. So he's got Utah hosting temple in their first round game. And if they were to win that, they'd play the winner of Utah state and Utah Valley, which if it's Utah state would be in Logan. And my buddy sugar Shane Thompson, friend of mine tells me that the spectrum in Logan, he's an Aggie fan is the best college basketball venue in the state of Utah. So that will be interesting to watch uh, down the stretch here if Utah doesn't find a way into the NCAA tournament and finds its way into the NIT, as do the Aggies, and shoot, maybe even the Cougars and Utah Valley and some other teams in the state of Utah. All right, we'll take a quick break uh, and hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll take an even quicker look at Cal and spin you around the night in Pac-12 hoops right after these words from our good friends at Pillow Fight. Hey, everyone. A loss like this will definitely keep coaches up at night, maybe even some fans. But if you're having trouble sleeping, it may just be your pillow. So let me recommend Pillow Fight. I'm going to keep this brief. Their pillows and bedding products are awesome. I use them, my whole family uses them, and we all sleep like babies. Check out their website at pillow-fight.com and use the promo code RUNNINGHOOPS at checkout for 20% off your first purchase with Pillow Fight. That website again, pillow-fight.com. That promo code, RUNNINGHOOPS. All right, well, the Pac-12 schedulers managed to give Utah an extra day to chew on this Stanford loss as Cal comes to town on Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m. on ESPNU. So don't get confused When you look on the Pac-12 network and the Utes aren't there like they have been all season, just click down a few notches to ESPNU, where I'm sure the broadcast team will be remote. Cal is coming off a 59-46 loss to Colorado, in which it led at halftime, but just couldn't hang on. The Bears are 3-19 on the season. They're 2-9 in Pac-12 play. And right now, they've got the inside track to get the 12 seed in the Pac-12 tournament. They're also well into the 200s in Ken Palm and in the net rankings. And to make matters worse, the Bears announced earlier this week that point guard Devin Askew, the five-star transfer from Texas, will be out for the remainder of the season with an injury, which is obviously a huge blow to them as he was their leading scorer. Big man Lars Tiemann, Kwani Kwani, and true freshman Grant Newell will have to step up in his absence. There is literally one key to this game for Utah, and that's it. Win it. That's the list. They just need to go out and win this game and give themselves 
a win to prepare for next week against Colorado. They'll have one game next week on Saturday against Colorado, and the key to victory against Cal is win. I expect them to do just that. I'll take the Utes 75-60, to although Cal may not score that many points, and maybe neither will Utah. Nevertheless, I think Utah does bounce back on Sunday and get the win. So let's take a quick spin around the Pac-12. Arizona State snapped its four-game losing skid, beating Oregon State 68-57. The Sun Devils are now 7-5 in league play and will have one of the more intriguing matchups this weekend with Oregon coming to town on Saturday night. That's 8 p.m. ESPN2. Why is it so intriguing, you ask? Well, because both teams will come in 7-5, and and they're still just a skosh behind the Utes at this very juncture. Speaking of the Ducks, they fell in Arizona 91-76. The Wildcats improved to 9-3 in Pac-12 play, and they host Oregon State on Saturday night. So the Wildcats improved to 10-3 in Pac-12 play, really. And Tubelas, Azulas Tubelas, had 40 points in this game for the Wildcats. Elsewhere, UCLA beat Washington 70-61 to get to 9-2 in Pac-12 play and dropping the Huskies to 5-8. It'll be Washington State for the Bruins on Saturday and USC for the Huskies on Saturday as well. Those two teams locked horns tonight, and it was really a back-and-forth affair. Very entertaining game with USC coming out on top 80-70. to Muhammad Gay had 31 in the loss for Washington State, and Boogie Ellis had 23 in the win for USC. The win pushes USC to 8-3 in Pac-12 play, and so now USC and Arizona are two games clear of the next tier of teams, Utah, Oregon, and Arizona State, who have five losses, and then UCLA is three games clear of that same group and one game clear of the two and the three teams. Washington State drops to 5-8 and eight on the season, and so they are now in a cluster of teams with Washington, Colorado at 5-8, and eight, Stanford's at 4-7, and seven, and then you've got Oregon State and Cal bringing up the rear. Both Utah and Colorado host those Bay Area schools on Sunday. Everybody else is on Saturday, so it'll be another interesting weekend of Pac-12 basketball, that is for sure. And since this has already been a downer of a show... Let me give you one more piece of bad news for the running Utes. The big recruit that Utah had on campus a few weeks ago, Alex Condon, has committed to Florida. After it was viewed as a two-team race between Utah and St. Mary's, it sounds like he was sold on the SEC being a big-time basketball league with the Pac-12 and the West Coast Conference not being as big-time, especially with USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 and so... Uh, Condon and his family were sold on Florida and the SEC is a big time power basketball league. And this is probably not the last time that we see this used against Utah in recruiting. So if you're George Klyovkov and you're sitting there in the Pac-12 offices, you might want to get this TV deal done, get the league expanded if that's what he's going to do and start to show that this is going to be a good basketball league to play in moving forward, whether that's San Diego State or SMU or Gonzaga, I don't know. But again, people are starting to sell some instability in the Pac-12 to recruits. And at least this one, he bought it. So the Utes are back to the drawing board with one open scholarship for next year. Of course, that is for now. They have one open scholarship for next year. 
and we'll just see what happens. I would expect them to hit the portal hard, no matter how many scholarships they have. They may be kind of done looking at 2023 high school players, but who knows? You can always follow the hashtags Runnin' Hoops and Craigslist on Twitter to keep up with Utah recruiting and whoever they might be talking to, whether it's high school, international, junior college, or portal guys, as the season draws to an end. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Running Hoops podcast. I do want to thank you, as always, for listening, especially after a tough loss like this. You can follow me on Twitter, at Running Hoops. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can support it on Venmo, at Running Hoops. And you can read my game previews over at UteZone. Just don't take your paycheck to the betting window based on my predictions. But until next time, I'm Andrew Crowley. This is the Running Hoops Podcast. And as always, go Utes.